We're going to be focusing our attention, as we have been for a little while here, on flourishing and uh, the sustaining of God's thriving in our lives, God's plan for us to thrive as believers and to flourish. You know, uh, you can tell from time to time I share my heart about kiddos, and uh, there's nothing better than kids, you know. Think about for a young couple for a minute that are just on their first pregnancy. You know, they're all excited. They've got nine months to prepare themselves for this birth. So they're putting the nursery together, right? They're getting the crib ready. They're getting the changing table ready. They're doing things that would prepare their facility for a young one. They're um, going to their pre-birth appointments, getting the um, medical stuff all set and lined up. They're um, maybe taking Lamaze classes. I don't know if they're still doing that, but uh, that was a part of my first uh, experience doing Lamaze. Does anybody know if that's still going? Yeah, okay. Uh, and, And you're preparing for the birth. And then all of a sudden, the labor pains begin. It could be Braxton Hicks to start with, but once they get serious and you find out it's the real thing, you uh, head to the hospital and uh, go to the birthing ward. Or some people these days have their baby in a, a water swimming pool setting. I know several that have done that recently. Or uh, have a lady come into your house or a, a, you know, make, it a, make it an at-home birth but somehow it 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 takes place if it's at the hospital you know the um, natural things that go into a birthing unit and uh, it's exciting isn't it there's nothing more exciting than having a a baby it used to be and my my dad said when I was born he was home sleeping and the women were at the hospital doing everything by themselves now it's a couple yeah yeah he got the he got a phone call that said I was born And uh, nowadays, couples are together in that, at least for the most part, um, in the the births. But then it's over, right? The birth is over and the baby is done and that's that's it, right? (laughs) Your life is changed. No, it's not the end. It's the beginning, okay? It's just the beginning of the parenting process. I think God gives us nine whole months to get ready because when that work begins, it takes a lot, does it not? You know, the baby has to be changed at the right time. The baby has to be burped at the right time, fed at the right time. You you know, you got to give it Tylenol if it gets a fever and you start going through the list and no wonder parents are exhausted, right? Because it's so commanding and demanding and there's so much, so much to it. Well, take the analogy and shift it to spiritual birth. Spiritual birth. And we've got uh, an error in our thinking because sometimes we think when a person comes to faith in Jesus, when a person surrenders their heart to Christ, when a person becomes a Christian and gets baptized, when a person submits themselves to the lordship of jesus we say that's it they're born by too often we don't take as serious 
seriously, the birth of a child of God as we do the birth of a child in our physical world. And just like a baby being born is the beginning of really helping and parenting and growing, aftercare, we call it, aftercare. After the birth is done, the care really begins. And spiritually, follow-up, discipleship is aftercare. When a person comes to Jesus, it's just the beginning. We as believers have the opportunity to parent and to take those young believers, those children, those babes in Christ, the ones that the Apostle Peter says, as newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. And he describes them as, as infants and babies. And we have the opportunity to grow. And so I don't know if you feel that responsibility, but I want you to know we have that responsibility. That's not just uh, somebody else. It's not just, well, it's the apostles. It's, you know, it's the, the, the evangelist. It's the pastor. Well, it's us. We need to take that on as individuals in the kingdom of God. And so I hope today's lesson shows us how to thrive. Number one, as baby believers, we need to thrive because the, the Thessalonian Christians were that but also as more mature believers, as parents, as those who can do aftercare for those that have been brought to Christ. That's the whole thing of thriving and flourishing today as we take some time to, to look into that. Paul uses all kinds of parenting analogies and imagery. This whole book is filled. He says... I'm like a mother to you guys, to, to you brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. He said, I'm like a father to you, giving you wisdom and encouragement. He, he, he keeps talking about parenting. In fact, he says, I feel like I was orphaned from you, a totally parental kind of figure, because I got pulled away and we were no longer in each other's presence. In fact, that's where it leads to the verse that we're going to start with today in chapter 3, chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 3, we'll go 1 through 6. The, the context is actually 1 through 13, but I had to break it into two just because I'm so slow at it. Um, let's read this together, or you can just listen as I read it. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So he's saying we were orphaned from you. We were separated from you. I, I wondered how you were doing because I, I got to lead you to Christ and give you three weeks of my life, and then I had to go out of town, and I just wondered how you... He says, we could stand it no longer. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. What trials? They were heavy, heavily being persecuted. They were being um, outright abused by those who were around them. For you know quite well that we were destined for them. What's the them? The trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. 
For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that as long as that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Let's take a minute and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture, this encouragement from the Apostle Paul about these baby believers that were in this town of Thessalonica. Lord, help us to draw things out of this for our own benefit today. If we're a baby believer, Lord, show us how you want us to grow and to flourish and to thrive. If we're not a baby believer, Lord, show us how to help others grow and to flourish and to thrive. Help us, Lord, to see flourishing sustained and growing in our, in our lives, spiritually, relationally, emotionally. Lord, put it all together for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, there were three things that Paul always gave to his disciples. He gave them his presence. He wanted to be there, and that's partly what's being robbed from him in this particular particular setting. He gave him his passion. I mean, if you haven't seen anything yet in this book, you just see his heart over and over and over again. He shows them how meaningful they were to him and how he's close to tears when he thinks about how he had to leave them at such an inopportune time. And he gives them his prayers. In fact, next week, we're going to focus completely on a, on a prayer that's like four verses long in to, to, to Paul. So he gave him his presence. He gave him his passion, and he gave him his prayers. And in this case specifically, what he's talking about the most is his presence with them, that he was missing that opportunity to be with them in person. So what is it that makes a life flourish, and what should we be looking for? Flourishing is sustained by a couple of things. I put them as three today. The first one, jot this down, solid team members. You need to have, I need to have, we need to have teammates. We need to have solid teammates. People who are on our team and we're doing it, doing life, doing discipleship together. Don't try to go it alone. You are not destined. You are not designed. You are not made to live life. All, now, now, that's in spite of what our culture says to us. Our culture has got this macho, me-against-the-world kind of feeling. It's, it's, it's that solo idea, and it's against God. What was God's first comment about man? It is not good that man should be alone. He never changed that opinion. <laughs> he, never, he, never, he never took that one back. It's not good that man would be alone. And he's designed us to be in teamwork, especially when it comes to the body of Christ. Now, again, the evil one has pervaded a, a, a thought out there of individualism and religious isolation. It's just you and God. It's just you and God. Tune everybody else out. It's just you and God. And, and there's some times when we need to tune everybody else out. But most of the time in our culture, we need to tune everybody else in. 
We need to pull together. And as much as it's between us and God, it needs to be this way. The, the cross is two ways, vertical and horizontal. And what we're missing, the component that Paul's saying here, to really thrive and to flourish, you need that horizontal um, aspect of the gospel. You need teammates. List for me right now, in your mind or on your paper, list five teammates, those that you would say, these are the brothers or the sisters that are with me through thick and thin. These are the brothers and sisters that I can count on no matter what. These are the ones that are helping me grow, and I'm helping them grow. They are teammates. Who would you take a bullet for? Who'd take a bullet for you? I mean, that's the kind of question we're asking. Now, in the Marines or in the military, you've got it so visualized because you're in an active war. But brothers and sisters, we are in no less of a war spiritually than the Marines are physically. Follow me on that? He says, when I could stand it no longer. I mean, circle that if you would. He's, he's basically saying, I could endure this, this, this frustration no more, so I had to send and hear how you were doing. So I sent one of my teammates. Paul was a couple hundred miles away. He was in Corinth. You know, the Corinthian book that we have in our Bible? Well, Paul established a church in Corinth, and he got to stay there for a, a, a lot longer then he stayed in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, you remember what he had? Three weeks, three Sabbaths, maybe a little bit longer. And the persecution was so great and so heavy that he escaped just by the skin of his teeth and, got his, and saved his life by getting out of town. But he says, I could stand it no longer. These 200 miles, I mean, this was 200 miles in the day and age that he was in, which would be a little further than just hopping in your car for a couple hours, okay? It was a lot greater distance in terms of, of ability to, to, to travel. But see, when, when God gives a child into the world, he, he designed it to be with two parents. <laughs> Why? Now, occasionally it, it ends up being a single parent trying to raise a baby, trying to raise a kid by themselves. But that wasn't God's initial design, was it? He told them to be fruitful and to multiply. Why? Because it's so labor-intensive. And you know what? He didn't just tell one person to disciple another person. In this case, it's Paul and Timothy. It's Paul, Timothy, and Silas. It's a team that says, we are responsible for these brothers and sisters coming to Christ. Why did God do that? Because the labor is intensive, and we need each other. The people that we lead to Christ need to see us as a team, need to see us as brothers and sisters. In fact, what's the first thing he says? Jot this down. Brothers and sisters in Christ. We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, so we sent Timothy, who is our what? Our brother. Now, this is probably the simplicity of he's a Christian, and, and, and the Christians are talked about in family terms. <laughs> Paul loves family terms, right? So he's calling this guy a brother. And if he was a, a female gender, he'd be the sister in Christ. It's not, he, he's just saying there's this part of our team that just, if you're a Christian, you're part of the team. What's God say? If you're a Christian, you're part of the body of Christ. What part do you play? You have yet to figure that out. <laughs> but 
Just note to self, if you're part of the body of Christ, you're a brother. You are a sister. Notice he says, who is our brother? Not my brother. Not just my brother. He's our brother. See, we get to possess each other in Christ. We have the opportunity to bless and be blessed as brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, for more Timothys in our world, more Timothys in your life. Who is it that you'd call on when you were frustrated like the Apostle Paul was? Do you have someone that you could just say, I I know who's my go-to guy, my go-to gal, my brother or my sister in Christ? We have this family relationship with one another, and we are uh, Christians. Um, I want to brag for a minute on uh, some of our leadership here. I do this very rarely, but a couple of years ago, we were sitting in a meeting talking about planting a church in Gig Harbor, and it was opportunity to build a leadership team, and uh, I was going to be helping on it, and our brother here, Ryan, he, he just, I just remember the day he said, hey, that sounds like a lot of fun. Can I do that? Would that be okay if I did that? And I'm like, can you do that? That would be so good. That'd be good for our church family. That'd be good for you. That'd be good for the church in Gig Harbor. And I just remember thinking, how, I've never had an elder asking for help to, to help with things like that, regional church planting kind of stuff. And of course, Jim Wilson took over and we had other um, brothers on that team. But I just, I just thank God for brothers who will step up to the plate and say, I want to help. I want to help. Can I do that? That sounds like a blast. That's going to be fun. Let's plant a church in Gig Harbor. By the way, you know who's in Gig Harbor preaching right now? Mark Tevis, one of our elders, because they're they're struggling. They lost their pastor. He had to move for a family reason to um, Michigan or Wisconsin, one of those other Michigan. And uh, and we're, we're we're finding a pastor for that. In the meantime. Uh, do we have brothers or what? Now, sometimes we don't make a big point of that, but I'm just so thankful for our leadership team. And by the way, through this crazy year or two here, <laughs> the team has been so solid and together. There's a lot of points where other churches have just seen divergence. One church that I was hearing about yesterday, day before yesterday, they said they had a five-member eldership and they were split three to two on how they were going to deal with masks and and those issues. And instead of, you know, what what do we do? If we go one way, two of the elders, are, they're probably not going to be part of the team. If they go the other way, <laughs> what are you going to do? And, and I just, I'm not here to criticize them because we're praying hard for them. And they actually made a really good, wise decision to share with the congregation that they couldn't come to a conclusion <laughs> about that. And that it's that tough um, in, in right now in, in decision making but praise god been united <laughs> i thank god for that and it's it's i think in the same kind of vein that paul is talking to timothy he's talking to the brothers and sisters about timothy and saying we sent our brother the one we could count on the one that we knew we had this amazing uh relationship with well how'd i get off on that oh yeah i got off on that at brothers and i i just Wanted to brag a little bit about some of our brothers here. Notice number B, it's co-workers. We sent Timothy, who is a brother and a what? A co-worker. 
in Christ, a co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ. Co-worker, a co-worker. Now, I don't know if you thought about this. When you became a Christian, you signed up to be a worker. I know you might not have thought about that because we think so much about the benefits of becoming a Christian. It's all about receiving. But wait a minute, wait a minute. He says you are now a discipler. If you're a disciple, you're automatically a discipler. You're a co, what is it? Worker, a co-worker. Now you've got to assess what your gifts and talents and abilities are to give to the kingdom and give to the discipleship, discipling process. You've got to decide who it is God's linked you up with. But you are a co-worker. Now some of you need to be giving your your energy and time into physical stuff. Some of you need to be giving your time and your energy into spiritual, into teaching, leading, discipling. God's calling us to be co-workers, just like Timothy was to the Apostle Paul, and I think he's calling us today to be co-workers in God's service. Think of the word for a minute, partner, partnership. That's the plan that he has. The idea was mutual ministry, that the body worked. The, the word here for service is diakonos. We get the word deacon from that. It's just simple service. So list, your, list out what you've done this last week to serve God. Every uh, month I have to call the sheriff's office and give them the hours that we spent the three of us in chaplain service, just volunteer work. And it's like, because they have to report it to the LNI or something, okay? If you had to report your service for God, your service in ministry, what would you say you've done to serve God this week? And I'm thinking time, I'm thinking effort. You've got a chunk of time every week. What have you done to serve him? List it out. Now, it's easy when it's a church service, it's easy when you've done something that's been corporate like this. Sometimes the discipleship ones are harder. Who have you met with? Who have you called? Who have you done what Paul did here? Who have you written a note to, to encourage and to bless? Every person here can be involved as co-workers in the kingdom. You're not left out. You're a part of the team. You are needed. You're especially encouraged by things like this. Well... Last one, so, so, so C under this. The solid teammates were brothers and sisters, co-workers. They were faith builders and encouragers. <laughs> you knew we were going to come to that, didn't you? The favorite word there, encouragers. To strengthen, he says, and to encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. See, the... Apostle Paul didn't send Timothy as a surveillance, you know, investigator. Go see how they're doing and spy on them. No, he said, I want you to go and, and I want you to find out how they're doing. Surveillance is good, but I want you to be a blessing to them. When you get there, I want you to build their faith. I want you to be an encourager. I want you to pass the love of God on like never before. He didn't go as a as a spy, he went as a supply. You get that? He went to supply what they lacked and to help them out. Are you a builder? We sang about it today. <laughs> Build my life 
Lord, build my life on faith and love. It's the only thing that can really count. Are you considered to be a builder? This week I got to spend time with a a 20-year-old gentleman who I've known since he was born. And his life just crashed around him. Just rubble. The last five months, he came up here from Portland. And so I talked to him about building your life on the rock versus building your life on the sand. I mean, Jesus was a builder. Jesus was a builder. And he told us how to build our lives. Here, Timothy is a builder. And he's going to this church in Thessalonica to these brothers who only had three weeks of being discipled to build them up, to encourage them, to bless them with the faith, the trust, and the gospel itself, to build them up and to help. i got to ask you today, are you a builder? Would those around you look at you and say, he's helping me build my life. She's helping me build my life. I mean, that's the only thing that counts. Helping people build, not just, oh, they're saved. They got baptized. Well, they're, they're born again, and that's good. Don't ever, don't ever think I'm discounting that. But if we stop at that, the life has just begun. We've got to help people build their lives. Not that our lives are so great, because we need their help as we help them. You see how it works? <laughs> it's, not all, it's not ever a one-way street. It's always a give and a take, a pull together and a be together. Faith builders and encouragers. So I, I, I hope you're hearing this today. You've got to have a team. You've got to be a team. Build your team. Build your life. They go together. Paul says, when I could stand it no longer, I thought I would send the best team member I could think of. Timothy, who's your best team member? you can think of well something besides a solid team second thing sound thinking especially sound thinking about trials sound thinking about tribulation and persecution okay we've got to think right and so paul is giving these believers these young believers clear understanding clear understanding Now, Paul only had three weeks with these guys. Paul only had three weeks to disciple them in person. But during those three weeks, he says he taught them about persecution. It wasn't this easy believism. Do you know what I mean by that? It wasn't this uh, all about you, Christianity. It was if you receive Jesus, the chances are 100% you will be persecuted. What? Well, then why would anyone become a Christian if it's going to mean persecution? That's a good question. Why would anyone become a Christian if it means you'll be persecuted? It's risk-reward. It's benefits outweigh the liabilities. Yes, you will. As soon as you receive Jesus, as soon as you commit yourself to him, you will have a target on your back. That's what he's saying here. But he says, I want you not to be unsettled. Sound thinking leads to, and look at this, unshaken under fire. Jot that down. Unshaken under fire. He says, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea. This is from 
chapter 2. You suffered from your own people the same things that those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. Are you catching that? He wanted them to be unshaken by these persecutions. You see, what our symbol is in Christianity is, uh, is a cross. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's not a feather bed, is it? It's not a bed of roses, is it? Well, what happens if we are unsettled by these trials? Number one, we learn perseverance from trials, don't we? What did uh, James chapter 1 say? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, perseverance. Yeah. The Bible says we learn obedience from trials. Even Jesus learned to obey, Hebrews says, through the trials he went through. He learned to obey. Hebrews 2, verses 10. Jesus learned from the trials how to obey. He learned obedience through what he suffered, Hebrews 5, 8 says. And he was made perfect through that. Notice 2 Timothy three twelve. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Persecuted. Don't lead people to Christ with the false assumption that everything is going to be easy. It is going to be blessed because you'll have Christ in your life. You'll have his power and his encouragement as you move forward. But easy? No. We're followers of Jesus Christ, the persecuted one, the hung on the cross one. And Jesus learned from that, and so should we. So there's perseverance, there's obedience. You know what else you learn from trials? How to comfort other people. First Corinthians says, I learned how to comfort others because I received comfort when I was down. If you lose a loved one and, you've lo- and you know what it means to be comforted in the midst of a, of a loss, you're able then to love somebody else who's going through the loss of a loved one. How to comfort others. And lastly, you will have deeper fellowship with Jesus. You'll understand Jesus on a deeper level than ever before if you and as you go through trials or persecution. Continue to remember those who are in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. I used that last week and talked about those in Afghanistan. Are we praying for the Christian brothers and sisters, for the Afghan people who are going to be under persecution, who are having it declared against them right now. If you're a Christian, we will behead you. Can you imagine? It's hard for us to even think about that. And yet that's the declaration that's going against. And so what's he say in this verse? Pray for them as if you were having that said against you. If somebody was saying to you, I will behead your children because of your faith. Pray for those in Afghanistan as if you were in Afghanistan. Pray like crazy. It will make you joyful, he says, 
if you encounter various trials and knowing the testing of your faith will produce endurance. So solid thinking about persecution, about hardship, is one of the keys to flourishing. See, Timothy's ministry would help shape the thinking and the, uh, of, uh, regarding persecution and adversity in these believers' lives. I think I, I think I was saying unshaken under fire. The second thing is expecting appointed adversity. Can you catch what Paul's saying here? He's saying, for you know quite well that we were destined for them. What was he destined? The trials. <laughs> we were destined for these. <laughs> I hate to think about it, but God's got trials that we're destined for destined for why because he loves us because he loves the world because he wants us to reach the world and if we're going to reach the world with his love and his grace there is going to be an opposition against us like never before when you accept christ you have an appointed adversity he says well you know quite well that we were destined for these trials in fact when we were with you we kept telling you over and over again that you would be persecuted. And what it, it turned out that way, you know full well. We are destined for trials in this world. What did Jesus say? Something like, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In the world, you're going to have trouble. It's a guarantee. Note to self, blessed are those, blessed are you when men insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He said, rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah. Remember Acts chapter 5? I list that in there. The apostles are leaving the Sanhedrin, and it says they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Christ. It's like, they got beat, they got imprisoned, then they, then they were beaten, and they got out of jail, and they were rejoicing that they had been able to suffer for Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but I don't see a lot of people signing up for that. You know, I don't, I don't see us sharing that kind of heart. But God's calling us to. God's calling us to, especially when it comes to being counted worthy to suffer. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. See, since Paul only had three weeks to teach him and he taught him about hardship, we should put that in our key, um, key concepts when we teach people how to come to faith and how to grow and flourish in their faith. Anybody who lives and wants to live a godly life, you should be expecting appointed adversity. Now we've had uh, we've had nine baptisms in this last few months since January. Some of you are here today. We're delighted, knowing that your faith is growing. Some of them have been young people. Some have been adults. And our job as a family is to disciple them, to grow our brothers and sisters, our new believing ones, into strong faith. We had nine baptisms through our camping ministry in the pool at camp 
some others that were going to get baptized in their home churches when they got back. You know, and, and I like it when they get baptized in their home church when they get back because then you've got the family support. Up at camp, it's like a whole different community, and it's neat. It's a beautiful thing. It's fantastic and gorgeous. But at the same time, you don't have the family setting that you have in a local congregation. But I want you to know, the, the, the nine who got baptized, they're in this category of we need to take them on. I don't even know if you know them. I don't even know if you've been blessed to pour some life into them. But that's our job. That's our privilege. That's our honor. Because guess what? The enemy's attacking. The enemy's fighting like crazy. Those nine people, he's trying to pick them off. And what's he using? Trials. Persecution. He thinks he's going to win by that. Oh, God knows so much better. God's going to take that persecution and through believers who are discipling, he's going to ram it back down the evil one's throat. It's exactly what he's going to do. He says, their labor might have been in vain. He says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter had come and tempted you. Look at verse, uh, or look at the number three there. Stable fellowship. We've got to be together. We've got to be a family We've got to be hearted and solid together. If you're not yet connected to that level, oh, let me encourage you. Nothing will help you grow more than for you to grow to that level. Look at verse uh, 5. For this reason, when I can stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has now come to us and has brought us good news about your faith and about your love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. <laughs> oh, the, hear, that, hear that sweet connection of relationship and fellowship. Stable fellowship. You know, we've got to have solid things. We've got to have sound thinking about persecution and we've got to have stable fellowship in our lives and some of it i put meeting in person paul's focus here is i got to get to see these folks a is meeting in person he says i could stand it no longer i want uh, the next best thing to me being there is my great partner my teammate mate my co-worker timothy get over there and look these guys in the eye get together with them now you know what I'm thinking about is this last year or two, last 18 months. We've had a, an assault on in-person time, haven't we? Even when it is in person, it's masked up often, isn't it? No. <laughs> We've had this health scare, this health challenge that has caused us to not be in person, to not be together. Now, I am thankful for the virtual community. I'm thankful for the virtual options that we have conducting ministry but when we went from virtual youth group back to youth group last september such a difference meeting in person you know there's a big deal a big difference a huge difference in meeting virtually or meeting or not meeting at all and meeting in person what was driving paul crazy 
He couldn't meet with them in person. He wanted to look them in the eye. He wanted to see their faces and drive home the love of God in their life. Build them up in their faith. Build them up in their heart. So he sends the apostle, or the uh, disciple, Timothy, to find out about their faith. Because he says the tempter in some way could have tempted you. What's he mean by that? Satan is wanting to use those very trials that God could use for perseverance. God can use for obedience. God can use to bring joy in our life. Those very trials, the tempter wants to tempt us to see them as God's against us. Oh, I mean, look at Job for a minute. I mean, that's exactly the picture of Job. The things that were happening to him, the things that were allowed to happen to him, the evil one wanted to come along and blame God. Just curse God and die. Just curse God and get it over with. Just condemn God and, and, and reject his love. That's what the tempter always wants to do when we're going through adversity. God, Apostle Paul says here, no, I wanted to be the opposite. I wanted to show you in person through him being there, through Timothy being there, that these trials can make you strong. These trials can bring the opposite effect. Remember Paul said, uh, I kept wanting to come to you over and over again, but Satan, Satan stopped it. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, underline that, it's from chapter 2, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. How did he do it? We don't know. We don't know all the ways Satan blocked his way. We do know that when Paul was kicked out of Thessalonica, that the enemies of Paul went to where he was staying, went to the school of discipleship at Jason's house. They drug Jason out into the middle of the street, the Bible says, and they flogged him. They beat him within an inch of his life. And so Paul's like, I'm not going to go back there and bring you under even more persecution. So he says, Satan stopped him. We don't know how. We don't know the ways in which. Imagine how different it would have been if, the, uh, if uh, Timothy had come and said the opposite. Apostle Paul, I'm back here to report to you. Those people in Thessalonica, they have rejected the gospel. They have let down their faith. They no longer believe. In fact, they're so afraid of the persecution that they're, they're hiding out and denying Jesus. They have categorically rescinded their commitment to Christ. What if Timothy had said, no, but he didn't. But he didn't. He said, I've gone to the city and examined, and their faith is strong. They love the love of the, the, the Lord Jesus. They love us as the servants of God. They're eager to see us. They want to see us in person and face to face. Those negative reports were not negative. It was just out of the opposite. Well, meeting in person. Last one I want to talk about is resisting isolation. <laughs> Has this been a 18 months of isolation? No, for health reasons or whatever. But I think Satan has wanted to use isolation and he is trying to isolate, insulate, and, and uh, bar barricade the body of Christ. And Lord wants us instead to be doing just the opposite. What's the opposite? 
of isolation, integration. He wants us to integrate our lives, both with him and with each other. Notice what he says. Timothy has now come to us from you. He's come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and your love. The most important things in life, faith and love. Faith, hope, and love makes the essence of who we are, who we are in Christ. They gave us good news about their faith and their love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you love to see us just as we long to see you. See, Paul is pressing against the isolation. Are you? Am I? Are we together as clearly focused on doing away with that and focusing on faith and love? Back to chapter 2 one more time. We pleaded with you and encouraged you. We urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. The very writing of this letter and 2 Thessalonians as well shows us the apostles' desire to communicate, not isolate, to restore and to restate the obvious. We should be telling one another about the love of God over and over and over again. When in doubt, reach out. (laughs) If you don't know what to do, ask for help. God will use you in a way to help other people and to help yourself flourish in the gospel, flourish in the Christian walk. Instead of thinking or saying, I'm okay alone, it's just me and God, no, it's God and us. Church is a team sport. It's not meant to be lived out alone. So resist the isolation that the evil one loves to use. I just want to say I think that more than ever before, we have an opportunity to distinguish ourselves from the world and press into things, resisting isolation being one of them, press into things rather than going with the flow, finding ways to resist isolation and to focus our attention on meeting, on being together, and on growing. So a solid team. you got to have a solid team. you got to have sound thinking about persecution. And you need this idea of being together, the fellowship that is stable, and secure. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this picture that you've given to us of these early believers. Thank you for the way the Apostle Paul could encourage them to flourish and to grow in their lives. Lord, would you help us with that as the people that are here today that are new believers? Would you just pour and shower your blessings, your your spirit, your wisdom, but also uh, through the trials. Lord, help them to grow like never before. Veterans in their faith, who are longer-term Christians, would you show us how you want us to team together, what you want us to do, and how you want us to grow people to be more like you. Thank you again for loving us, Lord. We give you this, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.